inside your bosom is the call to worship in Psalm 145, the psalm in which we have Yahweh set before us as being righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his deeds, and then our response to his kindness and his love and his mercy towards us. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this response of The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him, and he will also hear their cry and will save them. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Well, now let us take the Trinity hymn book and turn to number two and do that which we have said we would do in our responsive reading and bless his holy name. Oh, come my soul, bless thou the Lord our maker. Number ten in the Trinity hymn.
remain standing for prayer. <clears throat> Father, we do uh, delight in, in considering your great works of old. You are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and you are our Father. And we rejoice to be able to address you as our Father because we are in the Son, and we do uh, thank you for that. We thank you for the hope laid up for us in heaven, which of course is embodied in him, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. He is our hope, and we do wait for him from heaven. And we pray that as we do that, you will uh, empower us by uh, your spirit and by your word, (coughs) even in this hour, uh, that we might walk worthy of the Lord, that you might give us all spiritual understanding so that we might comprehend the things that have been freely given to us uh, in Christ and that we might uh, put uh, to death the deeds of the body and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us for that. We pray for uh, those who could not uh, be here because of illness or other physical maladies, we pray that uh, they might know your grace and your presence in this hour as well, uh, through the power of your word and the power of the Spirit of God, whom you have shed forth abundantly uh, through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. may be seated. Now taking your hymns of grace, 310 in the hymns of grace, it is the resurrection song. See what a morning, glorious and bright. 310 hymns of grace.
Well, <laughs> trying to compose myself after singing that song. Indeed, as uh, you can be turning to Luke 24, by the way. Indeed, as Paul writes to the Corinthians in 15:20, but now Christ has risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And we will see in this passage on those two disciples that are the envy of Christendom <laughs> since uh, Christendom began, the ones who were on the road to Emmaus, that Christ will tell them, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he will expound to them all the things concerning himself. And one of the interesting passages, I have no idea what was said there. Well, we have some idea, don't we? But in Leviticus 23, there is a catalog of all the feasts of Yahweh. And Leviticus um, is not probably the favorite book of, 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 of Christians because there are some very difficult things there. But we read that he began at Moses and the prophets. So Moses wrote Leviticus. And in, it's interesting in chapter 23, verse 10, he commands that the Israelites would bring in the, 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 the sheaf of the first fruits of their harvest, and they were to bring it uh, to the priest. And then in verse 11, the priest is to wave that sheaf, sheaf of grain, I assume, before Yahweh. And then the interesting phrase, for you to be accepted. And we read in, in Romans 5 that we were, he was, raised again for our justification. So we, our acceptance is in him. And then the other interesting thing was the day that this was to happen, that they were to, the priest was to wave it on what day? The day after the Sabbath, the day that we read about in Luke 24. Luke 24 begins on the first day of the week. They came, verse 2, they found, verse 3, they entered, uh, verse 4, they were perplexed. Well, trouble with reading consecutive through chapters, we don't get the context from the, the previous. The they spoken of here are the women. Friday was the preparation day, verse 54 of the previous chapter, and the Sabbath was about to begin, Saturday. Now the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and beheld the tomb and how his body was laid. Keep that uh, tucked in the back of your mind. They beheld how the body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices, perfumes, and on the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, the body that they had witnessed being laid. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, and when the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. 
Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And when they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the rest of the women with them were there. They were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they were not believing them. But Peter stood up and ran to the tomb, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away by himself, marveling at what had happened. And behold, two of them were going that same day to a village named Emmaus, which was 60 stadia from Jerusalem. 60 stadia is, according to this, about 7 miles, 11k. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had happened. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself approached and was going with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are discussing with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? I I just have to stop for a second. Cliff pointed this out uh, this morning uh, about the sense of humor of the Lord. How did he keep a straight face? If they had been looking at him, they probably saw a little wry smile uh, starting to uh, curl on his his lips. What things? (laughs) That tickled me. Uh, And they said to him the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a mighty prophet, in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us astounded us when they were at the tomb early in the morning, And not finding his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he interpreted interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us or abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that when he had reclined at table with them, he took the bread and blessed. 
it, and after breaking it, he was giving it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said one to another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And they stood up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Took that 11K back to Jerusalem. Probably had a pretty good clip. And stood up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the 11 and those with them who were saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they were relating their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. So we go to prayer once again. This morning we want to pray for the Albany Baptist Church in Albany, New York, with Pastors Hill and Sarver. And then they mentioned in their letter that we read on Wednesday night, they have a new man who's been recognized, a younger man, both Pastor Hill and Sarver, or older men, I can say that because they're about my age or a little older, but they've now recognized another elder in the church, a younger man. His name, of all things, is Mr. Grumbles. So uh, we're very thankful for the new pastor that God has given them there in Albany. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we gather together on this day because it's on this day, the first day of the week, that we recognize that our Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. And how thankful we are that as we gather together, we do so worshiping a a living Savior. We worship the one who has conquered death on our behalf. We worship that one who experienced the resurrection, who is now the first fruit of our resurrection. Father, how thankful we are that we gather together knowing that that one who died on the cross, who gave his life as a ransom, who bled and died, who, who breathed his last breath, who cried out, it is finished conquered death and arose from that tomb. And who even now lives and is seated at your right hand making intercession for us. Father, it is in light of all these things that we count it a delight and a privilege to come together as your people and to worship you. For so great a salvation that you've provided for us in your dear Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are thankful for the assembling of your people together around the world and around the United States on this day, recognizing that our Savior lives. But we this morning would pray especially for our brothers and sisters who make up that community of believers there in Albany, New York. Father, we thank you for their many years of of laboring for the advancement of your kingdom. We thank you for Pastor Hill and Pastor Sarver, 
who's labored in that place and has been faithful shepherds caring for your flock. And now we're thankful that we can rejoice with them in bringing in another man who will also serve as a pastor to your people. Thank you for Pastor Grumbles. And we pray that as Pastor Sarver and Hill and Grumbles begin to work together, that that you will bless their their union. We, We pray, Father, that as shepherds of your people, that they would work to tend your flock and to see your kingdom advance there in Albany. We pray that they might rejoice in seeing you add to their number, especially those that are being saved. So, Father, we rejoice with them. Pray that you'll continue to bless that ministry and use it. We know that Pastor Sarver is involved in in writing right now uh, with regard to the Middle Ages and and Reformed teaching. And we pray that you would bless that and that that might be an instrument that blesses your church in years to come. Again, Father, watch over them, care for them, meet with them, we ask, as they gather together. Now we'd ask that you would meet with us as we come together to hear your word. Father, may the Spirit of God enlighten our minds and give us understanding of that word and help us to rightly respond to that word that you might be pleased in how we react and respond to the Word of God this morning, that that you would find us not only hearers, but doers of that Word. For these things we do pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we open the Word of God, take your Trinity hymn books once again. The Trinity hymn books turning to 409, a hymn that speaks about our sinfulness and the mercy of God. We sang this a couple weeks ago, I believe, around the Lord's table, but I'm going to ask Rachel to play it through once and then we will stand and sing it together.
You can take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. I would imagine that most of you are familiar with that familiar story of Charles Charles Dickerson, The Christmas Carol. It recounts the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, an an elderly man who was visited by three spirits. The spirit of Christmas past, the spirit of Christmas present, and the spirit of the one yet to come. And you might recall that when when it came time for Ebenezer Scrooge to follow the spirit of things to come, they went to a graveyard. And and there was a corpse. And though Ebenezer Scrooge could not immediately identify the corpse because the face was veiled, he asked several questions about who this man was. and, And he realized that at the end of the day, whoever this man was, the way he lived his life ended with misery and judgment and and just disappointment. And then it was discovered that it was none other than Ebenezer Scrooge. And you might recall that upon seeing and hearing these things, he looks and asks that he might have one chance to go back and radically change his life so that at the end of his days, it doesn't end this way. And if I recall correctly, he then wakes up and he thinks he's holding the hand of one of the spirits when at the end of the day he was holding his bedpost. And he realizes that he was now back into present time and, and we're left with the thought that his life will now radically change because he's seen into the future. And what might happen? Well, when we come to the children of Israel here in Deuteronomy 31, no doubt they were perhaps all the more eagerly waiting for that moment when it says, okay, let's cross the Jordan into the promised land. Moses has been giving them instruction and and he sort of ends his message to them before they go into the land with with a personal message for them of keeping their own heart, of of, of choosing life. He he tells them, I want you to know that I'm not going to go with you into the land. But but you're not going to be leaderless. In fact, what he reminds them is God will go before you. That's your hope. There's where you ought to place your confidence As you're going into this land, that's a land of milk and honey, and and as you enjoy the prosperity of this land, oh yeah, there's going to be real opposition. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be battles and warfare and so forth. But, But know this, God will go with you. In fact, Joshua will become their human leader, and Joshua's admonished with the same reality. Do do not be afraid. 
Be, be strengthened and, and courageous because the Lord, your God, will go with you. That, that was the one thing that they ought to hold on to with, with a death grip. The, the presence and help and aid of Yahweh their God. But then, starting now in verse 14, God reveals to them what will in all likelihood be their future. They get a glimpse of what might happen in the future, there in that land. And it's not a pretty picture. It's a sad and grievous picture. One that you might hope they would say, in light of what I've seen, may we all the more be diligent in keeping our hearts and obeying and serving Yahweh our God, because we don't want that end. I wonder if we were allowed to see the future. And we would see how our children turn out, or, or we will see how our grandchildren will turn out, or, or what this church will be like in another 20 or 30 years, what will we hold to? What will we count dear? The possibilities. How would our life change now if we could see into the future, guarding ourselves against rebellion and disobedience to God? So what we have here in this passage, starting in verse 14 and, and going through verse 29, are, are three things. The first thing we see in this passage is the revelation for the future. The revelation for the future. The second thing we will note is the reason for the failure. And, and then finally we will consider together the resources for hope. So, so you have the, the revelation concerning the future, the reason for their failure, and then the resources for hope. Notice, notice these things with me, first of all. The revelation for the future. Starting at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the time for you to die is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meetings, that I may commission him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood at the doorway of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to, to lie down with your fathers, and this people will rise up and play the harlot with the strange god of the lands, of the strange gods of the land, into the midst in which they are going, and they will forsake me 
and break my covenant which I have made with them. And then my anger will be kindled against them in the day, in that day, and, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be consumed. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will, not, they, for they will turn to other gods. Then down to verse 24. And it came about when Moses finished writing the words of this law in a book until they were complete, and Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it re remind, remain there as a witness against you. For I know your rebellion, your stubbornness. Behold, while I am still alive with you today, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more then after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their hearing and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will act corruptly and turn from the way which I have commanded you and the evil will befall you in the latter days, for you will do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the works of your hands. Moses here is given a glimpse of the future, what it will look like for the children of Israel. And then he declares that revelation to the children of Israel. And so in verses 14 to 18, we have the revelation given to Moses. Moses and Joshua are both summoned to the tent of meetings. And there they are to meet with God. God would be present. I don't know what it was like on that occasion. Did Moses and Joshua get together and say, were you called to meet with God? Yeah, I was. What do you think he might want? I wondered as I was thinking about this if, if it may have been like those days when we were in school and, and somebody says, uh, the principal wants to see you. And you're like, oh, what does he know? What did I do? And so they're summoned, Joshua and Moses, to the tent of meetings, meeting to meet with Yahweh. We're told that Moses is near death and that Joshua was going to be commissioned to take his place. But on this occasion, God also says to them what would happen after Moses' death. And he says two things will happen. Israel would forsake God Israel would go after other gods. They would break the covenant that God had made with them. 
Back in Exodus chapter 19, that covenant says, If you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Obey, keep my covenant, and you'll be my possessions. Moses has exhorted the people back in chapter 29. So keep the word of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. But they're going to forsake me. They're going to go after other gods. They're going to get into the land, and as they go to occupy the various territories, they will find that those territories have gods, And in fact, in many ways, their gods are more pleasing than Yahweh. In many ways, worshiping their gods is easier than worshiping Yahweh. And they will find themselves following after other gods and forsaking the one true God. But not only would Israel forsake God, but in verse 17 we're told, God would forsake Israel. Now, what was it that Israel should treasure above everything else when they go into the land? Was it houses that they weren't going to build? Vineyards that they weren't going to plant? Water that they weren't going to dig from from cisterns? Is that what they ought to treasure? Should they treasure the, the milk and honey that's there? No. It is the presence of Almighty God. Remember, Moses has told us, when when God says, I'm going to let you go into the land, but you're going to go without me, because I'm afraid if I go with you, I'll destroy you, because you're such a stiff-necked people. And, And the people were sad to hear that. And Moses says, if you're not going to go with us, then don't let us go in. Because what distinguishes us from every other nation is God's presence with us. And now God says, in light of your rebellion, I will forsake you. And we're told here of how this will take place. Verse 17, my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they will be consumed. What a sad result. God says, I'm going to hide my face from you and then judgment will come and you'll experience all kinds of evil and challenges and difficulties because God is no longer with you. What a sad thing that is. That which distinguished them from anyone else has now been taken away. Matthew Henry says, His providence would forsake them no longer to protect and prosper them And then they would become a prey to all their neighbors. And don't we see that happening? I mean, as as we're going through judges in Sunday school, 
I, I sit there sometimes as, as Dan's going over this, and I'm saying, he said this would happen. None of us should sit here saying, wow, I didn't see that coming. God warned them. You forsake me and go after other gods, I will forsake you. And then the, Moses tells the children of Israel, Starting there at verse 24, Moses announced that once he dies, they will act corruptly. How does he know that? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? He says, I know that because I know how you act when I'm right here. You know, it's like a parent who looks at their children and says, when, when you go and visit the neighbors, you, you, don't, you don't misbehave. And they look at you, what makes you think I'll misbehave? Because I know how you act in my house. And that's what Moses says. I, I know you're going to act corruptly because, you know what? I, I've seen how you've done. I mean, I was gone for a little bit, and what did you do? The first thing you did was make a golden calf and began to worship him. It's not shocking. They will do evil. And Moses says, therefore, evil or judgment will come upon them. And again, he tells them, you will know the anger of the Lord. And, and in many ways, I mean, this sounds very certain. This is what's going to happen. But, but in some ways, it, it, it serves as a warning. It, it, it's what we might call a wake-up call. With this warning, would to God that they would say, no, we're going to radically change. We're, we're, we're going to obey God. We're going to love God. We're going to serve Him. should have been an alarm. It should have been a warning. This danger is real. Take heed, lest you become lazy or indifferent or cold in your relationship to God. Be beware, lest you begin to follow after other gods. Keep, keep your heart diligently close to God. Love God as a priority. That should have been their response. Back in chapter 4 and verse 9 of Deuteronomy we read, only give heed to yourselves and keep your souls diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart. Don't, don't let your love and your passion and your devotion and, and your loyalty grow cold. Matthew 24 and verse 12, because of lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. How do we respond to that? Most people's love will grow cold. How, how do you respond? You know how often we respond to that? Never me. That won't happen to me. You ever respond that way? Do you ever think that? Not me. Oh, I understand. So-and-so, and this guy, and that guy, but not me. Instead, it, it ought to serve as a warning, as a, as a danger that we face. And it ought to put us on our knees before God, crying out to Him, help me to be diligent in keeping my own heart and the priority of my love for you above everything else. 
Deuteronomy 29 and verse 18, we read, The heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve other gods, the gods of those nations. It's a warning. But you know what else this also serves as? It's just a reminder that you can be warned. Alarms can sound. And if there's never a changed heart, it's not going to make a difference. These people have heard and seen and have been warned. And yet it makes no difference. Because they don't have a heart that's bent towards God. So that's the revelation of their future. But that leads me, secondly, to notice what the, what the Scriptures say with regard to the reasons for their failure. The reasons. There are two sources that are behind their falling away. Look at verse 20. For when... I bring them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then I will turn to then they will turn to other gods, serve them, spurn me, and break my covenant. Then it shall come about when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify before them as a witness. For it shall, be, it shall not be forgotten from the lips of their descendants. For I know their intent, which they are developing today before I have brought them into the land which I, which I swore." Two things that have drawn their hearts away from God. Number one, prosperity. Prosperity. Yahweh says here that once you bring them into this land flowing with milk and honey and they're eaten and become satisfied, then they will turn to other gods. There's idolatry. God is not the priority of their lives. Back in chapter 8, in verse 11, we read, Beware, lest you forget Jehovah your God in not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I command you this day, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built godly, goodly houses, and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold multiply, and all that you have has multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget Jehovah, your God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. They've been warned about this. Your idol is a continual work, your heart is a continual workshop to produce idols. You will find yourself making other things of a greater priority than, than your relationship with God. You, you will find other things begin to be that which your heart's drawn after more than your relationship to God. 
in the midst of God giving you all that you need, you will forget your God. And you know how we respond? You know how we respond? Not me. Not me. And yet, look back over the years and see the number of individuals who have professed devotion, love, and a priority to God who have fallen away. As we look back to even just the last several years and seen lying on the path many a person who once professed their devotion and love to God now being drawn away to other things. They've left their first love and our response, not me, not me, when our response should be, oh Lord, help me to keep my heart. Help my love for you to grow greater. May your kingdom be the priority of my life. I've said this before. It's, it's one of the most it's one of the most grievous things in the pastorate is to see individuals who at one time seem to cling to Christ with all that they have and seem to love Him and serve Him with all that they have and then in later years become lazy or indifferent or lethargic when it comes to that love and service towards God. And we've seen it. And our response should not be, shame on you to let that happen. Our response ought to be, Lord, keep me. Keep me. And so we have their prosperity. The second reason for them turning away from the Lord is because of, of their intent, their hearts. Their hearts, they need a radical change. They need a new heart. But here he says there in verse 21, For I know their intent, which they are developing today, before I have brought them into the land which I swore. I know their hearts. Their, their, their hearts are not right with me. They, they don't have a heart that seeks after me. They, they need a radical change of heart. What does that tell you? Bless God for the new covenant. All this is leading to the fact that this is not a sufficient covenant. There needs to be a, a new covenant. This one is obsolete, the writer of Hebrews says. I've provided a second covenant. A covenant in which I will give them a new heart. There will be a radical change that takes place. I will place my law into that heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. All this is just as you read through this, it's a reminder of the importance of, of the work of Christ on our behalf. 
left to myself, I'm just like them. The only difference is I have a mediator. I have a Savior in Jesus Christ. Because I know my own heart, left to itself, it's deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? I don't have a heart that seeks after God unless by God's grace He takes the heart of stone and gives me a heart of flesh. It's my only hope. And even now, I've got to be diligent to keep that heart because I know, as the hymn writer said, I know my own proneness to wonder and proneness to leave the God I love. So there are two reasons that that, that Yahweh points out as to why in the future these people will be rebellious and, and not love and serve me as they ought. And the first has to do with they will want to serve other gods. They're, they lack a real devotion to me. And, and the second is they need a radical change of heart. They need them both. Which then leads us thirdly and finally to the resources of hope. The resources of hope. And here we see three things God gives to them. He, he doesn't just leave them, but, but he, he provides them with three things. Verse 22. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught, taught it to the sons of Israel. And then he commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, And said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the sons of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and and I will be with you. And it came about when Moses had finished writing the words of the law in the book until they were completed, that Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God that it may remain there as a witness against you. Three things they have. Number one, they have the writing of a song. Moses is going to write a song. It's going to be a song that will be memorized by the children of Israel. It's a song that we begin to consider at the end of verse, verse 30 of chapter 31, and then it goes through chapter 32. We're going to look at that together. I'm hoping to get through it fairly quickly. We'll see. No guarantee. But here in this song, it's very instructive. It's very practical. It's a song about God. It's a song about humanity. It's a song about judgment. This is a song that Moses would write and they would memorize and sing together to remind them. Then secondly, there was the commissioning of Joshua. God was going to give them a shepherd. Remember back in Numbers chapter 27 when when Moses, though he wasn't going into the promised land, was taken up to a mountain and he was able to look down on the promised land. He saw the land. And the one thing he wanted was that God would give them a leader and that he would let Joshua be that leader. He did not want these... People to be sheep without shepherd. And so there's the commissioning of Joshua. Joshua, you're going to be their leader. And again, I find it interesting that, that, that Yahweh would say to Joshua, you know, be strong and courageous. 
which I think it was either last week or the week before last I mentioned that. And, and usually if somebody tells you be strong and courageous, it means uh, you've got something to be afraid of. All right? You don't tell somebody, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous, or there's nothing to be afraid of. But, but Joshua, you're going to be leading these people, thousands and thousands of people, who are going to want to do their own thing, who are going to want to be rebellious, who aren't going to want to be obedient. And you're going to be their shepherd, and you've got to lead them. But I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to help you. God loves his people, and he doesn't want them to be without a shepherd. And so he commissions Joshua for that task. Having good leadership is crucial. It's important. It's important for us as an assembly. We need to continually pray that God will give us shepherds to care and tend for this flock and that God will give us shepherds who truly love us and care for us and will seek to lead us in the right way. So there's the writing of the song, there's the commissioning of Joshua, and thirdly, there's the recording of the law. The recording of the law. The word would be in their presence. The, the word would always be before them. It, it was to be placed in the ark, and, and they were to be reminded, this is what God says. They, they could never plead ignorance, although they might plead neglect. We, we've not been diligent in, in considering God's word. But these are, are three resources that he's given them to help them to, to be the people of God that, that he would desire them to be, that they would be able to keep the covenant, obey him, even though they would fail miserably. And so we're reminded, even in these things, that God is a merciful God and gives us far more than we deserve. He's not left us to ourselves. He's given us his word, and we should be obedient to that word. And so here, Israel is taken and shown their future. And it looks bleak. And they're going to fail. But as we read in God's Word, God says, I've got something better. And I will send my son. And he will give his life, a perfectly righteous life, in your place. And with my son comes a new heart and a new life. With, with a new purpose. Let, let none of us come to Deuteronomy 31 and, and listen to what God says to the children of Israel and think to ourselves, well, I'll do better than them. I, I'll obey God. I, I, I won't act rebellious. My friend, we're all rebellious. We, we've all disobeyed God. We, we all deserve His wrath. God should say to every one of us, I am going to forsake you and you're going to experience my anger and my wrath. I'll hide my face from you. That's what I deserve. But in his mercy and his grace, he said, I'll give my son. 
my only son. And He'll take your sin. He'll take that which draws out my anger towards you and He will take it upon Himself. So where does that lead? That means the wrath of God now falls upon Him. That one who knew no sin takes the full wrath of God's anger so that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will know salvation, will be brought into a right relationship to God. And that's what this is leading to. Thankfully, this is not the end of the story. It it doesn't stop here. But there's forgiveness with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And and now we can enjoy His presence. Now we we can delight in, in speaking to Him as it says of Moses, as a friend speaks to a friend. And how we ought to bless God for that. But I think there's also the lesson that we can draw out of this is how vitally important it is for us to keep our hearts above everything else. May it never be said of us they've lost their first love. And so I challenge you this morning is as you look back, do you see days when you loved and were more devoted to God than you are today? Can you look back to a day when you enjoyed more blessed fellowship with God than you do today? When you think of your relationship to God, do you think about the good old days? And you're hoping just to coast your way all the way to heaven by and by? Listen, we we need to grow in our love. Grow in our devotion. Grow in making Him the priority of our lives. May God help us. So the spirit of the future comes and says, here, let's look into the future. What what will that future look like? Ten years from now, if we're we're still here, some of us (laughs) got to deal with reality, may not be, but, but if we're still here, what will our lives look like? May God help us to ever be growing in our relationship to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the direction that Your Word gives to us. And we pray that, Father, even as we've considered this narrative with regard to the children of Israel and and how You gave them so much and Yet, Father, they rebel, they, they're disobedient, they, they become indifferent, their love has lessened. Uh, Father, it grieves us to hear these things. And yet, Father, we would acknowledge that we're prone to the same thing. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us by your grace to live for you to glorify and honor You in all that we do, to to be more in love with You and and more delighting in You tomorrow than, than we do today. 
And yet there are some among us who cannot do that because they still have the heart of stone. And, and we would pray that, Father, they would recognize they, they, need, they need a radical change of heart. And that won't come by anything they do, but it will only come by Your grace bringing them to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we pray that that would happen even this day, that today would be a day of salvation for some. For we ask all these things in your blessed Son's name. Amen. Well, in closing, uh, 580 in the Trinity Hymn Book. 580 Trinity Hymn Book. When peace like a river, it is well, it is well with my soul. I pray we can sing this from our hearts. It is well. 580.
Well, we will be having lunch together, and then God willing, have an afternoon service here on 145.